If you would look with me at uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, when I've been with you, uh, we've been on this topic for a number of weeks now. I think we're over 20 sessions now into this. Hadn't been able to find a place to stop on this quite, but that's all right. Right? That's all right. That's the great thing about uh, uh, having our own family and church is we can just go till we get through. And uh, appreciate all the ministry that Brother Dave Vaughn has done, Brother Tom and others. A lot of good things have come out in that as well. Don't you appreciate them? Let's continue today on this, Ephesians 4. We, uh, the title of our series is No Place for the Devil. How many think that's a good idea? In Ephesians 4, and uh, let's look in, I'm, I'm reading out of the CEV, the complete English version. Uh, I might not have said that right. CEV is the initials anyway. It says, we are part of the same body. This is Ephesians 4.25. Read whatever you've got there. Uh, Stop lying and start telling each other the truth. That's a good idea. Don't get so angry that you sin. Don't go to bed angry. And don't give the devil a chance. Instead of saying place or room. Uh, God's word translation, verse 26 says, don't, verse 27 rather, don't give the devil any opportunity to work. And so we see that he mentioned in these uh, few verses here, he mentioned lying. That gives place to the devil. He mentioned being angry uh, to the point of sinning. That gives place to the devil. And he mentioned in the verse after this, stealing. That gives place to the devil. So we know those are three ways that you can give place to the enemy. And he's writing to Christians, the saints in the church at Ephesus. So can a Christian give place to the devil? Obviously. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, and this this word adversary is actually a definition of the word Satan, whether you're talking about in the Hebrew or also in the the Greek. Uh, The devil is the enemy. He is the adversary, the one who is opposed against you. You do have an enemy, and it's the devil and his cohorts. And that's what he's saying. Don't act like you don't have an enemy. You need to be awake. You need to be watchful. Not not scared, not fearful, but just aware. Because your adversary, your opponent, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is real. He's he's spirit, not flesh, not material. And that's one of the big things that's, that's why people, even those who consider themselves to be 
brilliant with multiple degrees and what have you that don't believe in God and they don't believe in the devil and they don't believe in heaven and hell and all this. One of their biggest problems is they don't acknowledge there's another dimension. There's another realm besides the physical realm. Uh, many of the top scientists and researchers uh, in physics acknowledge this. They say the math proves it. They say other things prove there is another dimension besides what we can see and feel. Well, that's what the Bible has told us all along. There's another dimension. And if you say, well, if I can't see it and I can't touch it and I can't hear it, if I can't perceive it uh, with my physical five senses, it doesn't exist. You're not that dumb. What do you mean? Then you don't believe in thought. Right? You can't see a thought under a microscope. You can't touch it with your hand. You can't smell it. You can't feel it. You don't believe in emotions. You know, uh, this is not true. Any thinking, honest person realizes there's a dimension that is unseen. And it's existing parallel with us. And in this realm is God, angels, the devil, evil spirits, and all the people who have already died and left the earth. They still exist because they're spirits. Now, they are not hanging around haunting places. People say, well, I know what I saw. No, no, I'm, I'm telling you. There are bad spirits on the earth. And there are familiar spirits who imitate people who have lived. And pretend to be people. And that's where people get all these these wrong concepts and ideas about reincarnation, about, uh, you know, uh, people... Uh, who are dead still being around and all that kind of stuff? No, no. If you saw something, you heard something, it was wrong spirits uh, trying to deceive you and trick you, and you don't need to be afraid of them. Now, if you are not a believer, uh, then you got cause for fear. You need to come on in. You need to get saved. Because if you're not a believer, you got no authority you, uh, against this stuff. you got no protection against this stuff. You are vulnerable. You are exposed. You need to be born again. But when you are born again, we've been studying for weeks now. We've got the whole armor Amen. of God. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. And the enemy, as far as we're concerned, has been defeated. Amen. And we don't have to have any fear of him. But we do have to realize that he's trying to cause us problems all the time. And we must... Resist. Everybody say resist. Yes. We must resist him when he comes to fool us, to trick us, to deceive us, to tempt us, to bring fear, to bring doubt, all the stuff that he does. We must steadfastly resist that. Because if we give in, if we give in to it, if we give place to the devil, there will be stealing and killing and destroying in our life when it should not be. 
Are you okay, church? Can you can you see this so far? He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary of the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Go please now to James, the fourth chapter. Now we've already covered a lot of ground on these verses and on this subject, like I said, some 20 sessions or so. So if you have not been with us, I encourage you, uh, go online, watch it, listen to it. It won't cost you anything. There's no charge. But uh, the Word gets in you as you open yourself up to it, and it will push out the fear of these things. And it will, it will cause your faith to rise up so that you can dominate uh, these wrong things instead of them dominating you. In James 4 and 7, he said, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is a devil. He's your enemy. He hates you. He's trying to hurt you. He and all his cohorts. But you don't have to let him do what he wants to do. And when it said that he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, that reveals he cannot just destroy whoever he wants to destroy. He, he's looking to see who he can devour, destroy. So that means he can't just do it when and where he wants to. He's, got to, he's looking for opportunities. He's looking for people who don't know who they are in Christ. He's looking for people that will listen to his lies. He's looking for people that won't resist him. He's looking for people that won't submit to God. Are y'all with me? These are the two big things he tells us. And notice he starts out with submit yourself to God. A lot of times Christians that know some of these things, they've cut this verse in half and they'll quote resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but that's not the whole verse. It doesn't start with that. It starts with submission to God. The Weiss translation says it like this in verse 7, be subject with implicit obedience to God. How many think that's a good idea? Be subject to God with implicit obedience. And then stand immovable against the onset of the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Submission to God is a big part of this. We, we, we must not ignore this. We were there in Ephesians. If you would uh, look back... Go back with me to Ephesians. I believe it's the uh, second chapter. Yeah, second chapter. And verse 1. I'm reading this out of the NIV. Ephesians 2, 1. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, we saw this in Ephesians as well in the 6th chapter in this same book, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this world, against spiritual, wicked spirits in the heavenlies. There is a realm of spirit, and especially uh, people who are in authority, kings, prime ministers, presidents, governors, even mayors, etc., wrong spirits are doing everything they can to influence these leaders. Because Satan is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and that's how he governs and rules it, is through people that will yield to him. And this is one of the big reasons we are told, pray for those who are in authority, that we might lead a, a, a peace, peaceful and a godly life. Well, when you see chaos and you see killing, stealing, and destroying, that's not the will of God. That's the enemy having his way in the earth. And he's doing it through people. And so here he says, the, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is unseen. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, you, you know this is true. There is a spirit working disobedience throughout this entire earth. There is influence. There's push. I mean, you see little ones. Can't even talk yet. Is that right? And something is trying to influence them when you tell them what to do for them to say what? No. 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 And, and, and people think that's funny, and I understand that, but it won't be funny when they're 16. The spirit of disobedience is the spirit of defiance, is the spirit of rebellion. This is what the devil himself has done and continues to do against God. He rebelled against God and he convinced others, other spirit, spirit beings, to follow him. And now he is doing this throughout the whole earth. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. And he didn't just do it to say, goody, goody, I got you. No, he wanted control of the earth. And God didn't give him control of the earth. He gave that to man, human beings. And so the devil knew he, he couldn't get it any other way except deceiving man and getting man, Adam and Eve, to yield to him and give it to him. When Jesus was tempted, you remember, in the wilderness, those 40 days and nights, one of the temptations was that the enemy took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Well, I, the only way you could have done that was in the spirit, right? But he showed him. And the devil told Jesus, all this has been delivered to me. The devil told Jesus this. And he said, I'll give it to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Thank God. Jesus said, you worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you worship. Get behind me. Hallelujah. 
Did Jesus resist the enemy? Yeah, and he left him. In fact, right after that, it said he left, the enemy left for a season. Why? He ran out of things to do. He didn't know what else to do. This had worked on every other human being. It didn't work on Jesus. But did you hear that? All this is given to me, the devil said. Now, I've heard people say, well, that ain't true. You know, the devil's a liar. Jesus would have known by the Spirit if this wasn't true. And if it wasn't true, it wouldn't have been a temptation. Yet the Bible calls it a temptation. And the Lord didn't tell him, you're a liar. This is not true. He is a liar. But who gave it to him? Our parents gave it to him. And we can't find fault with them because what they did was they missed it and sinned. All of us have missed it and sinned, proving we'd have done the same thing. Well, keep moving along here. There's a spirit of disobedience. Now, the scripture tells us something about Jesus that is just so amazing. I want to, I want us to look at it in uh, John 14, if you'd go there, verse 30. Are you believing with me? I appreciate it. John 14:30. Right before Jesus uh, finished, uh, you know, his earthly life here and accomplished what he did on the cross for us. Jesus said, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world is coming. Who's he talking about? Well, we just got through saying that 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to Satan as the god of this world. That's why it is so wrong to attribute everything that's happening on earth to God. That's so wrong. And, say, and people think it sounds like you're showing respect and submission when you say God is in control. Well, what do you mean by that? If you mean ultimately that God's plan is going to be accomplished, yes. But if you mean everything that's happening on the planet is God, no, not even cloaks. Or that everything that's happening on the planet is the will of God, not even cloaks. No. There's, there are other beings at work that are not good. They're evil. They're God's enemy and they're our enemy. And what they're doing is not pleasing to God. It's not his will. It's not his plan. He's allowing it for a short season. He said, hereafter I won't talk much with you for the prince of this world is coming. He's talking about the devil. Now get this next phrase. And he has nothing in me. Say that out loud. He has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Say it again. He has nothing in me. Jesus went his whole childhood, his entire adult life on the earth, his entire ministry, and never... Gave any place to the devil. He's my hero. Is he your hero? This is amazing. Now, I can't say that. And you can't say that. Hmm? We've given place. 
We, we've listened to things we shouldn't have listened to. Said and done things we shouldn't have said and done. And that's another way of saying we've sinned. And by Jesus never giving any place, that coincides with him never sinning. Can you see that? But my question is, how did he do it? You interested in this at all? How did he do it? Now, don't get tripped up and go, well, he, he's the son of God. He is, but he's not operating as God. He was functioning as a man anointed with the Spirit. And the, the Scripture tells us that he became, Philippians says, he became like other men. Well, if he's operating in omniscience, knowing everything, and omnipotence, all power is God, I can't relate to that. That's not how I function. Right? He's not like me. But that's not what the scripture says. So he's functioning as a man, and he did what he did with no unfair advantage over us. He did it as a human being. Is this amazing or is this amazing? Proven that it could be done and he is actually the standard by which we will be judged. Because he did it as a man. And and you don't want to say, well, that's humanly impossible. You better look at Jesus. (laughs) Because if he did it, it's possible. And he did it as a man. But how did he do it? How is it that he never gave place to the devil? The reason I'm talking about it, we can see one of the things that he did. We know that he always resisted the devil when he came. We just got through talking about that in the wilderness temptation. Did he resist the enemy at every juncture? He resisted him with the word. He was full of the word. Even though he was the word. That's interesting. And he was full of the spirit. And this is also a point here. The more full of God you are. The less room there is for the enemy. Come on can you see that? We, we need to be read up. Prayed up. Praised up. Amen. Worshipped up. Yes. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Filled up with God. And there's less opportunity for our opportunity or space for the enemy. We know Jesus always resisted the devil and therefore didn't give him any place. He resisted every temptation, even in the garden when when blood was coming out of his pores. And he was tempted not to go through with it. You might say, why in the world would you say that, brother? Because he said it. Jesus said He said, Father, all things are possible with you. And if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. So he he is is seeing what he's about to experience. And he personally is not wanting to do it. And yet he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We see complete submission to. To God. I'm saying this is a big factor in how Jesus never gave place to the devil. He was, every day of his life, completely submitted 
to the Father. Everybody say completely submitted. Completely submitted. submitted. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you to verify that. John 6.38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus, every day of his life, didn't get up thinking about what do I want to do? (laughs) What do I want? What's my dream? What's my personal goals? (laughs) No. He, He woke up and said, Father, what do you want me to do today? Come on, can you see this? And this is the only key to real happiness and fulfillment. You chase your dreams. You chase to find your personal identification and fulfillment. You'll be miserable. You'll be disappointed over and over again. Because that's not what you were made to be. That's not what you were made to do. You were made to please Him. <laughs> that's what you were made to do. That's the only place we will find ultimate fulfillment is in fulfilling the complete will of God. That's the only thing. The only thing that's going to make you totally happy and satisfied is doing His will. Which is why there are so many unhappy people around, including in church. Because they're seeking other things. Jesus didn't. John 8, 28. John 8, 28. Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am He and I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. In twelve forty nine, He said, I've not spoken of myself. But the Father gave me what I should say and what I should speak. He said, I do nothing of myself. I don't say anything of myself. I didn't come here to do what I want. He was. And is completely submitted to God, the Father. Can you see that? And that is a huge part of giving the enemy no place. No place. Go with me to the book of Genesis. Now, we have specific instances and detail given where... People gave place to the devil and exactly when they did it and how they did it. And we've touched on some of this before in in the study, but I, I believe we need to look at it again and parts of it that we didn't. The first instance we see of human beings giving place to the devil is in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 Genesis 3 and 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done after they had fallen? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Listen to Young's literal translation. It says that she said, the serpent has caused me to forget and I do eat. Now, The scripture said that Eve was deceived, but that doesn't mean she didn't know anything. She's brilliant. She did buy in 
to the lies the devil was telling her about what this uh, knowledge of good and evil was going to do for her. But she was crystal clear that she was commanded of the Lord not to partake of it. She knew that. And she had to turn loose of that to do the sin. Can you see that? What I'm talking about is exactly when did the devil get in? Hmm? Exactly when? Well, they shouldn't have been hanging out there around the tree. Right? But even at that point, they could have, they could have walked away. Right? And they shouldn't have been listening to the devil talk to them about how amazing the fruit of knowledge of good and evil is and what it would do for you. But they still could have walked away. Yes. Couldn't they? Yes. Adam could have done more, couldn't he? He could have come over and got Eve by the hand and said, come on, let's go. Huh? Right? The, the father told us. You know, we, we, we he commanded us not to eat of the fruit of this tree. They knew that. She knew it. He knew it. Now James has said, To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And you could say this, that sin is violation of light. And the reason I'm saying that is because this is how the enemy gets in. Yes, it's when we sin... But what's going on there? It's when you reject light. When you violate light, that action gives immediate access to the devil in your life. That's when it happens. And that's why it's so serious. You can't fool God about what you know and what you don't know. You, you might pretend with other people, but and then the enemy sees. A lot of times the enemy, the enemy heard God tell them that. He was hanging around. So he knew that they knew and were clear on what God told them, don't eat of the fruit. And that's what he hits. Did you notice? It was not in any of, a, of, of the other 100,000 areas the enemy could have tried to be tempting or bothering them with. What did he go straight for? The one thing the Lord commanded them not to do. And it was when there was a point where it says, when Eve saw... The tree was good to look at and imagine that it must be amazing to taste and imagine what it's going to do for me. It's going to take me to another level. It's going to make me godlike. At that point, she decided to ignore God. Is everybody awake? She decided to ignore God what he told her in Adam 
And the Bible said Adam wasn't deceived. That's almost worse. He's standing over there, not saying a word, not doing anything, and he knows this is wrong. And at that point, she decides, she didn't say it, I don't guess, but you could say she said, I know what God said, but I'm ignoring that. I'm rejecting that. I'm going to do it anyway. And that's when the devil got in. Can you see this, friend? Go with me to the next example. The fourth chapter of Genesis. And you see the same thing with Cain. There's a very few human beings on the planet. Very, very few. And the enemy is able to convince one of them to murder the other. Brothers. How did this happen? We know the devil got in. Right? Murder. We know it. What does he want to do? Whether it's one person or a million. He's a murderer. He wants to steal. He wants to rob. He wants to kill and murder. He wants to destroy, devour, destroy. That's the devil. He's evil. But how did this happen? You know the story. Genesis 4. Cain and Abel were brothers. Cain's the elder. And he's a farmer. He brings some of his produce as an offering to the Lord. We know he didn't do it in faith. Cain didn't do it in faith because Hebrews 11 contrasts and says that Abel did it in faith. Revealing that Cain must not have. Well, we we know that's uh, the issue because God wasn't pleased with it. And what's it, it impossible to please him with that? Faith. So Abel brings the best he has of the fat and the best and and the father was pleased with Abel's offering and accepted it but he was displeased with Cain's offering and did not accept it now for people who scoff and mock about offerings and try to say well God don't care about all those things you have not read the Bible The first murder on the planet was over an offering. It's a big deal. Because offerings reveal hearts. That's why it's such a big deal. If you don't want to give an offering, or you just play with it, and you're well off, and you throw $2 in, that shows you got heart issues. Kingdom things are not important to you. God's not important to you. And if you get mad, if anybody brings it up, it's just showing you got a problem. But if you love God, you want to put his things first. You want to see his things go. You're willing to give. You're glad to give. You're willing to sacrifice. Is it true? It was true then. Still true now. But notice in verse 7. I'm reading Young's literal translation again. God is talking to Cain. 
Because the Bible said when, when God didn't receive Cain's offering, Cain's countenance fell. And he got mad. He became depressed and enraged. This is the devil. Did you notice in Ephesians talking about not giving place to the devil? Don't let that rage sit on you. Don't, don't let it stay past the sun going down. This is how the devil got in with Cain. Depression and anger. In our society, people think it's to be pitied and comforted and medicated. But as believers, we're missing God if we yield to depression and anger and bitterness. We're actually giving place to the enemy. Unbelievers don't know anybody. They got no authority to deal with it anyway. But we, but we do. Are you a believer? Yes. Are you a child of God? Yes. Do you have to be depressed? No. no. Do you have to stay enraged and bitter? No. No, No, you don't. Not one more minute. But it's our choice. I said it's our choice. And if you say you can't help it, you're believing a lie. If you really can't help it, you need to get born again. (laughs) I am born again. Well, then you can help it. (laughs) Here... Then this is amazing. Cain's mad. He's mad at God for not accepting his offering. He's mad at Abel for showing him up. He's mad. He's hurt. He's depressed. And God the Father comes to him directly to help him. Can you see this? This is astounding. God the Father. I don't mean through an angel. I don't mean through a preacher or a concerned brother or sister. The Almighty, the creator of the heavens and earth, comes to Cain and says, Cain, son, listen now. If you do well, I will accept you. Is he telling him, we can fix this? Huh, is he? The Almighty is saying, if you'll do the right thing here, I'll accept you. We can get this fixed. But if you don't do well, at the opening, you see why I wanted to use the Young's literal here? See, we're talking about how's the devil get in? Huh? He's revealing to him at the opening a sin offering is crouching. Now, this is Young's literal. Other translations say sin. And of course, who's behind it? We know the devil. And unto you it's desire and you rule over it. Let me read this to you from another translation. The CEV, again. The CEV. Now, now you got to remember who's talking here. The Father himself is trying to help Cain, who's mad, who's bitter, who's depressed. And he says, Cain, 
If you'd done the right thing, this one says you'd be smiling, but you did the wrong thing. And now sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. And the reason it says that is because the Hebrew there is crouching. Does that sound like he's going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? It's the same thing. And that's all the way back here in Genesis. God hadn't changed. Human nature hadn't changed. The devil hadn't changed. Temptation hasn't changed. Faith hasn't changed. What has changed is our covenant. But all these spiritual things, they've been the same longer than we know anything about. And they'll continue to be the same. But he said it's, it's crouching there at the door, at the opening. Can you see this? It wants to destroy you. Don't let it. Don't let it in. Now here is something amazing. The, the, the next verse basically says that Cain went and talked to his brother and said, let's go, let's go for a walk. And as they talked, he rose up against him and, and, and cut his throat. Murdered him right there. This shows you that even if God himself pleads with you, that doesn't mean you will change. If God himself pleads with you, you still got a free will. And what was happening here was this, this was Cain's last opportunity to repent before he went too far. I'm not saying he couldn't have repented afterwards, but it had been too late to prevent the murder. We saw last week repentance is a gift. It's the gift of God. When Cain got so upset because God didn't receive his offering, was it too late? Was it too late? Could he have repented right then and said, what's wrong with me? I, I got to be honest with myself. I just grabbed that and ran out the door with it. I, my heart wasn't in it. Hmm? Could he have been honest? Could he have repented? And even after he had fumed for days and was so mad at Abel, was it too late? Was it too late? Could he have repented? He could have repented. He could have said, Abel hadn't done anything wrong to me. Abel wasn't thinking about me when he went and picked out the best he had and took it to God. He just loves God. And Abel's not my problem. Abel didn't do anything against me. He could have repented and even at the end, what an opportunity when the creator of the heavens and earth himself, the Almighty, comes to you. And said, listen, son, you can get this right. You do the right thing. I'll accept your offering. But you've got to watch it. Something evil is right here at the opening in the door. It's crouching. It's trying to get in. You better master this thing. Could he have repented right there? Could, could he have said, oh, Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. 
I repent right now. And that would have been the end of it. But there was a time when it was his last opportunity to repent. And that's as serious as it gets. For every human being on the planet that hasn't received Jesus, there's coming a time that is their last opportunity to repent. And when you reject that, that's when the enemy gets in. Can you see something happened after God talked to him like he did? And he still, after the conversation, he still, just like Eve, he decided to reject what God told him. And he's going to stay mad anyway. And that's when the devil, that's when the devil got in. And he yielded to this murderous rage and killed his own brother. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. Can you take a little bit more? It's not because he didn't know enough. It's not because he was too weak. It was because he made a choice. He's not going to listen to what God's telling him. In uh, Luke 22, let's see, that's, that's the wrong one. I'm not quite there yet. Um, John 13 is actually where I want you to go right now. You know, this is exactly what happened with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And this is New Testament. This is after the new birth. This is after being filled with the Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, everything leads us to think that they had been born again, that they had been filled with the Spirit, and that they are part of the church there. And yet, they cared too much about the money. They wanted to be big shots in front of people, but they didn't want to do what other people that had a full heart for God were doing. And so they said they were giving all the proceeds of something they had sold into the church and the work of God, but they weren't. They were they were holding back part of it, and it wasn't that they kept back part of it, is that they were lied about it and said they were giving it all. It'd have been fine if they'd have wanted to give half of it, but don't say you're doing it all. And uh, you remember the story in the book of Acts when Ananias came and his wife wasn't with him at first. And what did the Spirit of God say to him through Peter? Uh, Basically, you know, did you sell the property for so much? He said, yeah, that's right. And he says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost And why would the Lord say to him at this juncture, how much did you sell it for? What happened here? What's he doing? Is he giving him another opportunity 
to repent. Come on, can you see this? Because he, he's in danger. He's in trouble here. He don't know how much trouble he's in. But when he brazenly, in front of God, in front of Peter, in front of the whole church, when he goes, yeah, that's right, that's exactly the right number, man, the guy fell dead. And when his wife comes cruising in sometime later, doesn't even know what's happened, and this is amazing, they've already buried her husband's body, and she doesn't even know he's dead. <laughs> and she comes cruising in, and Peter says to her, did you sell this property to give money into the church? Yeah, we did. How much did you sell it for? Exactly. How I many understand? If we'd have been there and we could have known, we could have pulled her inside. Be very careful how you answer this question. Is that right? <laughs> was this? Why is the Why is the Lord doing this? Why didn't she just fall dead where she was? Or when she walked in the church? Why? Another opportunity. Come on, can you see this? An opportunity to repent. What Was it too late for her to repent? It was not. What if she would said, I am so sorry. We said that, but that's a lie. No. Would it have been a different story? Would it have been a different outcome? You know it would. Because the Lord is so merciful. I'm talking about when... Does the devil get in? What is the point? In uh, John 13, and I think I'm closing. I know some of this is uh, sobering. It doesn't make you want to laugh. But some things are just serious. But it is how it is. And, And what can we gain from this? We should gain how merciful God is. And how good and kind he is. And we should also make up in our heart and mind, I am going to be quick to repent. Is that right? If I see that I've missed it, if I see that I've done wrong, and if God... How many understand it's so important that we recognize when God is speaking to us? Now, it should have been obvious to Cain... God's talking to him in person. I don't think he saw him necessarily, but he probably saw something in the glory. He heard him. He saw him. He knew God's talking to him. But you understand God speaks to us today too, but he speaks to us through his word. He's talking to us right now. He speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through other people. And when God speaks to us and we understand it, it's a dangerous thing if we then go, well, I don't care what he said. I'm, I made up my mind. I'm going to. That's what Eve did. And Adam followed right in. That's what Cain did. Come on, can you see this? That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They, they knew better. And that's when the enemy got in. in. In John 13, this is one of the most clear instances, too. John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world of the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's Jesus. Pure love. Always. 
Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we know specifically where the idea came from. To go to the priests and see about getting paid money to betray Jesus, that came straight from the enemy. The devil brought that to Judas. Now, did Judas have to receive it? No. Could he have resisted it? Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't. He put it in Judas' heart and mind to betray Jesus. And uh, skip on down to verse 21 for time's sake. Jesus knowing, excuse me, uh, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit, and he's got all the, the apostles there sitting with him that he selected. He said, verily, verily, I say to you, one of you shall betray me. Now that's when things get awkward feeling. <laughs> There's only, you know, what, 13 of us at the table here? Right? And the master, and, and, and he doesn't just say random, foolish things. He looked around at them and he said, uh, verily, verily, every word he said was true. But when he prefaces it with this, I say to you, one of you, one of the twelve, will betray me. And... Uh, he said, the Son of Man, excuse me, let's see, I'm, I skipped down too far. The disciples looked one on another, doubting, now that we, we'd say wondering, of whom he spoke. So it got quiet. <laughs> you could, I'm sure you could feel some tension in the room. And they're looking around. I mean, there's only 12 of us here, right? Is it Peter? Is it James? Is it John? Is it Thomas? Who is it? So they're looking at each other, trying to figure out without saying anything, who is it? Verse 23. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. <laughs> He's the one that wrote this. John. Sounds like Phyllis. <laughs> I'm his favorite. I'm the one he loves. And Peter beckons to John, whose head is right there on Jesus' shoulder, and says, Ask him who it is. Ask him. Peter wants some inside information. Verse 25. He lying on Jesus' breast said, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Jesus said, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. Now, if you look at uh, Matthew's account, uh, Matthew 26, 22, it said they were exceeding sorrowful when he told them this. And every one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it me? You got to put all the accounts together to see the whole picture. But every one of them then began to say, Lord. Is it me? 
First of all, they want to know who it is, and then they can't figure it out, and so they begin to say, is it me? Is it me? Judas said, is it me? Two. And the Lord said to him, you have said it. When Judas said, is it me? He said, you said it. But notice in John, Jesus also had said this. It's the one I'll give sop. Now, sop is a piece of bread dipped in oil. Be like eating at Olive Garden and put your (laughs) breadstick in the... He said, it's the one that I'm going to dip the breadstick in and give it to. When he had dipped it, the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas. Iscariot, the son of Simon. Verse 27, are you, are you looking here? And Judas received it. After the sop, Satan entered into him. Now, earlier, the enemy hadn't got into it. The enemy brought this thought and plan to him, to his mind, and he accepted it, and he acted on it. But notice exactly when the devil got in. Let's just back it up a little bit. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, was it too late? Come on, help me out. Was it too late? No. Could Judas have even leaned over and said, Jesus, i got to talk to you. Can I talk to you? Maybe in private. Huh? Was it too late? It was not too late. It was not too late. When different ones begin to say, is it me? Is it me? And Judas said, is it me? He knew it was him. Is it me? And Jesus said, you said it. Was it too late? Come on, help me out. Was it too late? Now, the the significance of the, the bread and dipped in the oil. This is a personal gesture of love this is the master hand feeding you come on can you see this this is this is an act of tenderness this is not how you treat somebody who's trying to kill you naturally and what was so grievous about it is Judas took it, come on, can you see this? In such blatant hypocrisy and lying, he took it and ate it up like nothing was wrong. Come on, can you see that? And that was when the devil entered into him, got in him. And then at this point, he's so 
motivated by this. He can't wait. And, and, and he just, he's seething to get out of here and set this evil stuff in motion. And that's why Jesus looked at him and said, what you going to do? Do. Get out of here. And so he got up and left. And the other guys didn't know. They still didn't know. They thought he had the bag. He had the money. Maybe he's going out to give something to the poor. Because they did that, obviously, often enough for them to think. This is just a regular thing. There was opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Wasn't there? And God's that way with you. He's that way with me. Right? And if Jesus never rejected what the Father told him. Can you see that? Never. And Jesus never failed to resist the enemy. Never. And so Jesus never gave any place to the devil. And at the end of his earthly life, before he left here, he could say, don't you know that's a satisfying thing to say. He could say, the prince of this world's coming. He's got all this evil stuff planned. But he has Nothing in me. He couldn't get him to ignore the Father. He couldn't get him to give in and not resist him. That's our example. Amen. I said, that's our example. Amen. Come on, say it out loud. That, he's my example. He's right. That's my example. That's right. Jesus is my example. But can you see, just as important, in fact, it precedes it. As resisting the enemy when he comes is completely submitting yourself. Can you see that? Completely submitting yourself to his will, his way, his words, his plans. And when he talks to you, if he says don't eat of that fruit, you're going, that's it. That is the word. That's the beginning and the end. We're not considering anything else. We're never rejecting that word. When if he talks to you like he did Cain and says, quit being mad. You can get this right, repent. You go, okay, that's it. I'm no longer. Forget that. I'm going to get this right. You take that opportunity. And so then the devil never gets in where you're concerned. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet, everybody. Instead of yielding oneself to wrong things, we can yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Let's sing that. Yield yourself.